Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. James chapter 5, verse 13. Tonight's going to be a little bit of a, of, a, of a teaching night on kind of just one little principle in church, or in the Bible, and in our Christian walk, that I think is going to help us when we run into situations that are kind of speed bumps in the road of life. When you're cruising along and everything's going well, and then somebody kind of throws you a monkey wrench. Ever had one of those? It's like things seem to be going well, and then I just, I've hit a roadblock, a speed bump, a monkey wrench, whatever it is. And I think our response to those things in life that seem to crop up, that would seem to derail us from the direction where God's called us, those things that would seem to be a hindrance to where we're going, I want to show you from Scripture God's plan for how to deal with those kinds of things so we can keep moving forward, so we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. That's a pretty good deal. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I love the book of James because it's, it's often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is a very simple book written by a guy that doesn't use a lot of flowery words, but he just kind of tells it how it is. It's these little things that you can take and use right away. All the Bible is God-breathed, is useful for training up in righteousness. But sometimes I like to read something that's just, all right, Paul, listen, we love Romans, great book. Can I just talk to James so I can figure out how to handle this situation right now without a lot of deep theology? It's good theology, but I just need... How do I take care of this situation right now? And that's kind of the way the book of James was written. And so James is giving us a little bit of a a guidebook as to how to handle difficult situations when they come up. The title of my message tonight is Take It to the Source. Take it to the source. When you encounter some kind of a roadblock in life, do you realize that Whatever you turn to first is what your source is. First, that's your source. We have a little bit of a joke in our family a little bit um, that my brother-in-law, Mike, has a role in our family that is a highly valued and appreciated but certainly not coveted role in our family. And that is, my dad, who's an amazing technological person, whenever he has any problems with a computer or the television, guess who gets that phone call? My IT brother-in-law, Michael James Leal, who is, like, he's going to enter sainthood for this at some point in time. But whenever 
my dad has any challenges, and trust me, man, my, my TV, I just hand it to my kids. I'm like, you tell me what buttons to push because I've got no idea. But he's got so many different remotes going on with so many different things in the house is whenever he doesn't know how to fix something, which all of us have those things, right? Mike is the guy that gets the phone call. And I love that. I love my brother-in-law, Mike, for many reasons, but that's pretty close to the top of the list because I don't get the phone call about how to change the TV and how to change the settings and how to fix the computer screen. Mike gets the phone call. And he is the most patient person I've ever met in my entire life because he always will take the call and make sure my dad gets everything that he needs to get done on his computer. But I thought about this and I thought, Mike is the source of all wisdom when it comes to computers and televisions. I don't think Mike signed up anywhere to become the source of all wisdom and knowledge when it became to TVs. But when my dad has a problem with his TV, do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't call me to pray with him about it that God would fix his TV. He knows that if he wants an answer, he needs to go to Mike. Mike's the source. But I thought about this in regards to when we encounter challenges in life. And rather than us going to the source, often we end up going to something else that we help think will help meet the need for us. And sometimes when God is the one that we should be going to first when we're sick. God is the one we should be going to first. Our first response is, let me see how all my friends on Facebook feel about this situation. Let me figure out whether I should be offended or not by whether all of my Facebook friends are offended. Have you ever shared something on Facebook? It's like, you won't believe what happened to me. Have you ever had anyone on there go, well, you shouldn't be offended. That's wrong. You were the idiot. No, they're all going to go, yes, that's terrible. You're, you're a great person. They're all completely wrong. It's just the nature of it. But even sometimes when we run into a challenge, our first response is, I'm going to put it out to my prayer network. I'm going to put it out to all my friends. I'm going to get people praying for this thing. Those things are great. We want to be able to pray for people. But I'm telling you, God is first. He is our source, not Facebook, and I love Facebook, not even your prayer group of friends. It's God first. How do we know that? Go back to the beginning of this, James chapter 1, uh, James chapter 5. Go back to the first slide. Is anyone among you in trouble? What does it say? If any one of you is in trouble, tell everybody to start praying for you. If any one of you is in trouble, put it out on social media and see what other people think you should do. No. If you're in trouble, you pray. That's number one. If you're in trouble, let them pray. We are the them. I'm a part of the them. If I'm in trouble, if I have a situation, my first thing to do is for me to pray for myself and my situation. Why is it we tend to skip step one and go to step two? Well, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. So there is a time to pray for each other and come to the church and go, I need breakthrough in this area, but it's not first. God is first. Then, if you're not healed yet, then come to the church and let people anoint you, pray for you, 
and see you healed. It's not that we don't want to pray for each other and carry each other's burdens. But God's first. James is telling us, go to God first. Whatever I go to first is my source. You know, Israel back in the Old Testament days, they had a really bad habit. Do you know what they would do? Now, they were surrounded by enemies. Like every, and they still are today, aren't they? They're always being attacked, always being overrun. The whole history of the Middle East is one of one kingdom overtaking another. And so Israel was always under attack from the north, from the south, from the east and the west. But they had a really bad habit. Do you know what they would do? Whenever one, like the next newest empire to come along, whenever they would come and try to attack Israel, they would run to Egypt for help. Egypt. Do you remember Egypt? Anybody seen the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston? Is it Charlton Heston? Egypt was the place that had been holding them in bondage and in slavery. And when they got set free from Egypt, God moved them into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance and prosperity. And in this place, He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. You can dwell under the wings of the shadow of the Almighty. No fear will come near you. No one can touch you. You're mine. I'm going to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. But as soon as they would get pressure from some other kingdom, they would run to Egypt. They're slave owners. And they would go, I see this kingdom. And they've got a vast army. And we've got nothing. What, what do we do? Where do we go? And the problem with Israel is they understood how chariots and horses worked. But they were so unfamiliar with angels. And they thought, we're facing soldiers and chariots. Who's got chariots that we can get to come to our rescue. And so rather than turning to God first, they went to their neighbor. Whatever you turn to first, it's not God, will become your master. So they would sell themselves back into slavery to Egypt so they could be saved by another kingdom. And you could picture Egypt. Oh, we were wondering what time you'd come knocking on our doors again. We knew you'd come back. We knew that you couldn't handle the freedom. So yeah, we'll help you, but it's going to come at a price. Egypt had a, Israel had a bad habit of that. And so Egypt would rescue them from whatever kingdom was attacking them, but then would enslave them themselves. Remember at the end of worship, I said, I think the Lord's got a, the Lord's got a word for us is not to stop short of glory. Can I tell you that getting Egypt to come to your rescue is short of God's glory? Can I tell you that when you're meant to press through in prayer to God for yourself, trying to get everybody else involved first is short of His glory? And I want to encourage you, not condemn you, that if you will go to God first, 
you will see more breakthrough in your life than you could ever possibly imagine. And your prayer groups of friends that you're sending all the messages out to pray for and text and the the advice you're looking for from more seasoned and mature Christians and the counseling sessions that you're looking for, all those things are great. But I think you'd have much less need of them if you can just learn to go to God first. First. Do you understand that God is preeminent? He is jealous. He wants to be first. When we can understand that, we will see more breakthrough than you could ever possibly imagine. And what I know, what I... What I love hearing and seeing, and hey, I'm your pastor. I will pray for you. I will believe God with you. I don't want you to not tell me stuff. Don't, well, I can't tell Clayton. But I love when I get the text messages. I had this situation. I went to God, and He showed up. He showed up in my backyard in a way that was so powerful I couldn't imagine it. And so what you're sharing with people is the result, is the resolve, because God answered your prayer before you had to even tell another soul. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to have the attitude of Israel that when things were looking a little bleak, when they kept running into challenges, instead of realizing that the challenges they faced were because they had put other things before God, They decided the challenges we're facing are because we're not like everybody else. And they said, we want a king just like our neighbors have. You know what God's response was? I'm your king. You have one. And you're not like everybody else. Why do you keep trying to be like everybody else? You're not. You've been bought with a price. You're not called to be like everybody else, but with more stuff. You are a resident of earth, but you're a citizen of heaven. You're not going to be like everybody else. And if you want to be like everybody else, then you'll end up in slavery again. I understand that I'm different. I praise God that I'm different. I don't always appreciate the differences about me. There have been seasons of my life when I've just wanted to fit in. I'm like, God, why do, I, why do I have to be the one that doesn't go out and get wasted at night? Why can't I participate in the coarse jokes? Why can't I go see certain movies? There's moments when I've had that. But because I went to him with that question, he goes, because you're my son. And my son doesn't need to be messing around in pig slop. He belongs in my house at my table. And I've called you to my table to dine with me and invite them to the party. You don't need to go get in the slop. Just stay at my table and keep bringing people into my house that my house might be full. I believe God's telling us tonight, you're not like everybody else. So stop looking at what they have. Stop looking at what they drive. Stop looking at 
the joy that seems to be about in their life and just realize that you are a son and a daughter of the king. And he has so much more for you. Your source becomes your master. Your source becomes your master. I don't know what my dad would do if Mike was unavailable on a Friday night at 7.30 when he's trying to watch his shows and I've messed up the TV because I changed it using the wrong remote. I'm joking, sort of. But see, Dad knows where to go. He knows that Mike is the source of the answer. And I'm just using that as a parallel, an analogy of God. I want to go to my source first. You see, when I make God my first, he becomes my master. All of us need to serve somebody. And I'd much rather be serving him than man. I'd much rather be serving him than the devil's agenda. He wants to be first. So here's the pattern. Number one, when you're in trouble, pray for yourself. Simple, right? Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. And I want you to hear me. This doesn't mean you can't get people to pray for you. Just don't make them first. I know why people do it. I've done it. Because you feel like God hears them more than He hears you. Right? If I have a need, and I'm like, man, I need a breakthrough. I know God listens to Romy. So let me tell, let me get Romy praying for it so I can go on and do my other stuff. You know what I mean? I, I know I need, if I get Stephanie to lay hands on me and pray for this thing, I know I'm going to get healed because she's got hospital closing hands. So if she prays for me, I'm much more likely to get healed. And God goes, no, I want you to turn to me first. 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 I remember I was in South Korea probably, gosh, 15 years ago, visiting Yong Yi Cho's church. Yong Yi Cho at the time pastored the largest church in the world, a million people in his church. That's a lot, right? But he has this other campus called Prayer Mountain. It's literally a mountain that they own. They built like a, a, a retreat center that's there. And inside the mountain, they've built these prayer grottos, which essentially looks like a solitary confinement thing in a POW prison. It's literally digging little holes and tunnels into the mountain and like a little door you can close behind you. And the only way to get into it is actually because it keeps getting shorter and shorter. And so you actually have to end up on your knees. It's got like a little pad. There's no light or anything. And you go in and you just pray. So when you go around Prayer Mountain, which we did, it's, it, it's like the mountain is praying. That's what it sounds like because there are so many people in these grottos that are just pouring out their hearts to God, pouring it out. I mean, with, the Bible says with groans and utterances that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and He understands. It's groaning. It was, as a Westerner, I'm like, okay, this is weird. I'm, I'm, and I'm pretty open to the things of the Spirit. It was weird, right? And God goes, yeah, weird, supernatural. That's what that means, you know? But there's just this constant sound of prayer going up. And there was something different about that environment and that atmosphere. So I was asking some questions about, like, how do they, how do they, because I was running pastoral care at the church I was at. I'm thinking a million people. How do you do pastoral care for a million people? 
Like that's a lot of people to visit in the hospital. That's a lot of people to care for, to make sure their needs are met. So I was asking around, this is what they told me. If, if Pastor Cho, if somebody comes to visit him, right, and maybe they have a need, and it could be a very serious need, and they go to meet with him, they say he asks the same question of every single person that walks into his office. Do you know what he says? When they come in and they share, Pastor Cho, this is, this, is my, this is my issue. This is what I'm dealing with. The first thing he asks every single one, have you been to Prayer Mountain? Every time, no matter what the situation is, have you been to Prayer Mountain? And if they say no, guess what he says? I got nothing to say. Until you've been to Prayer Mountain, I can't even speak into your situation. It's useless for me to even hear it if you haven't yet first been to Prayer Mountain. Now, I'm a pastor, so I'm like, that's a bit harsh. Like, how do you get, imagine somebody coming into your office with the most horrible story you've ever heard in your life, and you're like, go to Prayer Mountain. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't like that. And you won't even hear their story. And then I read James. If anyone of you are in trouble, let them pray. He understood. If I let you tell me this story and you have not been to Prayer Mountain, I am putting myself in the place of God. And that is a dangerous place to be. Because whatever you go to first that's not God will also become your idol. That was the problem. Israel would so want to become like everybody else, they would take on their gods and they would start to build idols on the top of the hilltops. The top of the hilltops were supposed to be altars built to sacrifice animals for God, but they turned them into idols and sacrifice to, to, to sacrifice to idols because they just wanted to be like everybody else. And so the temple and God just became another one of these things. They took what was divine and made it familiar. Whatever you go to first that's not him will become an idol. I will not make an idol of my wife. I will not come to her with the pressing needs and spiritual needs of my heart if I've not talked to God about them first. Now, we're one in flesh, one in spirit. So whatever I share, she shares. Whatever she's going through, I go through. But I will not ask her to be God in my life. And if there's any temptation to be over-familiar in this relationship, it's here. Oh, Rummy, I'm really burdened with this thing, and man, I'm really having a hard time with this. Would you pray for me? I would expect her to say, which she does, what's God said. That's been our thing. We don't have a prayer mountain, but we'll just say, what did God say? And can I tell you, sometimes it's really frustrating when she says this to me, because I'm like... I'm asking you, okay? And she's like, that's great, but what's God said? Or do you have a word of the Lord from this? We've got some pressing decisions we've got to make. No rush to it, but just some, some big stuff coming up. And she's like, what's God said to you? And I have to be honest, and i got to go, I don't have a word from the Lord about this. Right? But we can talk about it because she understands that I've asked the question first of the Lord. What are you facing? What is it you're facing right now? Have you been to Prayer Mountain? 
Have you poured that thing out in prayer to Him and Him alone? Or have we just gotten the word out to everybody else? If we can learn to do this, I think we're going to see more breakthrough than you could ever possibly imagine. You know, there's this kind of buzzword with a lot of churches and church planning and getting people to come to church. It's a good one, but it's the word community. We want to develop community, authentic community. We like community. Community is great, but community is not God. And even this whole idea of building community means that we can come into a place where we like hanging out together and and, and sharing life and doing life together. And it's great. But God's first. And we don't want community in Seashore. We want family. And do you know what makes us family? Is that we both met at the cross. When I came to the cross... And I, in view of God's mercy, I offered my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. It was at that place that I looked over and I saw my brother. And I saw my sister. And we became family because we met at the cross. But it was the cross first. I think one of the tragedies of a church is if we become community and miss the cross. If we become the best of friends... And we share life together. But you're no closer to Jesus this year than you were last year. I've failed you as a friend. I know that sounds harsh, but that's the way I see this. I don't ever want to become your alpha. He is the alpha and the omega. Do you know what that means? He gets the first word and he gets the last word. The last word. So whatever has been spoken over you, whatever situation you're dealing with, when you make him the alpha, he also becomes the omega, the beginning and the end. When you go to God first, God, you are my source. You're the preeminent one. And I cast my cares upon you. Then he gets the last word. So where somebody else said cancer, he goes, nope, I've got the last word, healed. Where somebody else They're going to put a label on you. Sinner. Nope. Son. If you'll give him the first, he will become the last. And if there's anything in my life that I want to have the last word in, it's not even me. It's him. It's him. The second thing we do, this this is good too. If you're not healed yet, then have, others people pray, have other people pray for you. So if anyone's sick, have the elders of the church lay hands on you. In other words, if I've done the first, if I've gone to God first, I'm not healed yet, now let's grab some others, have them anoint you and pray over you. We pray for the sick all the time. We want to see them healed. We also want to teach the sick, you can go to God directly for your situation. If you've done that, haven't seen any breakthrough, then come on, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. Does that make sense? God just wants to be first in that area. And in the third one, which is interesting, can we throw out that scripture again? James, James chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let them have the elders, call the elders of church to pray over them, anoint them with oil 
in the name of the Lord. And the next verse, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. What a great promise. Now listen to this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This seems out of place. So first, I go to God myself. Then I get other people to pray for me. Then I confess my sins. What? Hang on. When did that come into this? Confess your sins to each other. That's a little, hang on. I'll confess my need for prayer to you, but I don't know that I want to come confess my sin to you. I don't know that I want to stand up here and go, you know what? I flipped that guy off who cut me off today in church and on the way to church. I flipped the guy off in my car on the way to church because he cut me off. I didn't, but if I did, I should be able to come here and confess that to you. Confess your sins one to another. It's amazing to me that I often think that revival is going to be marked by this incredible sense of the power and presence of God, and it is. But every revival in history, at least in modern church history that you've seen, it's marked by an unrelenting confession of sin. Isn't that crazy? Like people were just flooding the altar going, oh my gosh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Pastors, judges, prostitutes, whatever it is, everybody's just going, because in view of God's mercy, they're seeing this outpouring of love and they just can't live with stuff anymore and they want it off. But it's marked by this massive confession of sin. Now I promise you, if we had a prayer service tonight and I said, okay, this line over here, anybody that needs a breakthrough in their life, that needs healing, that needs a business prospering, come here, we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Okay, this line over here, anybody that wants to confess their deepest, darkest sin for everybody to listen to, you come here. Which one of those lines do you think are going to be a little bit longer? Probably this one, right? No one's like, woohoo, sin confession, let me come over here. But James is telling us, confess your sins, pray for each other. Now, we're not the kind of church that if you sin, we're going to stand you up in front of the church and... Make you tell everybody, ugh, I hate that stuff. But you know what? We got a couple of these little small groups. And I love that we'll go in there and just go, man, I'm, I've been struggling with this this week. And I, and I let my anger get out of control. I let this thing happen. And then we can pray for each other to be healed. I love that. So there's formats for that. It doesn't all have to be in a really embarrassing way. But to me, that's the mark of revival. I got so many scriptures here that I've skipped because we're running short on time. Email me and I'll give you all the background scriptures. Hmm. You know the other thing that's not our source? Our flesh is not our source. You see, when I'm encountering difficult times, it's easy for me just to indulge the things of the flesh. Because when you're experiencing tough spiritual times, you don't feel good. And I can make myself feel good by indulging my flesh. And often that's a prescription that you hear. Hey, just if you're having a hard time, just go do something you love. Well, it's not going to fix the problem. I don't just want to indulge the flesh to make my 
spirit feel better. The flesh is not our source. God is the source. I want to end with this. In Job chapter 1, you guys have heard of Job, right? Job was this guy that was blessed beyond measure. Can you take that off for a second, Scripture? Job was a guy blessed beyond measure. He had, like the richest guy at the time, God had blessed him tremendously. But he ran into probably the most difficult day you'll ever see in Scripture. I'm not going to read you that part of it. Can we take that Scripture down for a second? That's not the one I want to get to. You see, in one day, the devil decided that he wanted to test Job. And so he tells God, the only reason Job serves you is because you've blessed him. But if you take away all that blessing, he'll deny you. And so God put the devil on a leash and he said, all right, you can have your way with him, but you can't kill him. And I'm going to show you that Job serves me not because I've blessed him, but because he knows me. And the Bible says that his sons and daughters were having a party at the oldest son's house. And so Job's in a different place and a servant comes running in and says, oh, your donkeys and your oxen, like a big part of your business, got attacked by these other people. They killed all your servants and took all of your donkeys and all of your oxen. It's like 25% of your business just gone. Oh, that's not too bad. Then it says, while he was still speaking, another guy comes in the door, literally on his heels, and says, a fire from heaven came and burned up all your sheep and killed all of your servants over those as well. Oh my gosh, there's another 25% of my business. And it says, while he was still speaking, you think you'd want to close the door by now. But while he was still speaking, another servant comes in and says, oh, this other group came in and they stole all of your camels. All your camels are gone and they killed all those servants too. Who wants to work for Job? Not me. And then on the back of his heels, guy comes in and says, it's this great storm that came and that house where all of your kids were. The roof caved in and all your kids are dead. And in one instant, all of Job's blessing is gone. I can't fathom being in that situation. You've lost all of your business, all of your wealth, and all of your kids are gone in a moment. I don't know if I'm in that situation who the first person I'm going to pick up the phone to call to tell them the story. How do, you, how do you relate that to somebody? What's Job going to do in the midst of losing everything? And we can put that scripture up now in Job chapter 1 verse 20. I don't get this. It says that this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship. In worship. And said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job's response to the worst calamity anyone has ever seen 
is worship. Because God's His source. He's the first. He's the Alpha. And the Bible says because Job did this, he did not sin in blaming God for what had happened to him. In the midst of that calamity, Job knew who God was. And when everything breaks loose over my life, if I go to Him first, then He's going to have the last word. And although this is suffered unto me, this will not be the end of my story. And he cries out to God in worship. Job is my relationship goals. I want to have the kind of relationship with God that no matter what happens in my life, my response is worship. That if I hit the numbers tonight on that lottery, not that I'm playing it, but if I did, my response would be worship. If I get home and I lose everything in an instant, that He is my one. He's my alpha. And my response to Him would be worship. Yes, I would grieve. Yes, there would be pain. But I know where to go. I know that if I get on my knees and if I get in His presence, if I make Him the Alpha, I also make Him the Omega. He will have the final say. Can I encourage you? Let God be first. We know the end of Job's life. He gets twice as many kids as he ever had. He gets twice as many camels and oxen and all of these things. His life is doubly blessed at the end because he made God first in the beginning. Listen, I know there's times in my life when I haven't made God first. And I'm sure there have been in yours too, but you can fix that. You can reconcile that. And every area of your life that the Holy Spirit enlightens to you where you've not put God first, you can go back and say, God, I repent of that. Thank you for forgiving me of that. And I want you to have the first word. Whether it's looking for a job change, who to marry, or just as simple as what to put on to go to work that day, God will show you. He will have the final say. Job knew what Abraham knew. When Abraham's told to sacrifice his son, and the boy looks around and goes, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord himself will provide for us. Job knew what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew. That when all they had to do was just submit to the plans of man and do what everybody else was doing and worship an idol, they knew that even if I walk into a fiery furnace, they tell that king that our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down our knees to an idol. He's first. And because of that, he'll be last. And they walk in the fire, unhurt, with a fourth man in the fire. Because God had the final say. Job knew what Peter knew. When God gave the most ultimate, Jesus gave the most ultimate, awkward moment in the disciple's life when he goes, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no part in me. Now we take communion, we get what that means. They did not know what that meant then. And it says almost all of the disciples left him. And then Jesus turns to the other disciples and he goes, are y'all going to leave me too? And Job knows what Peter does when Peter goes, Jesus, I don't get it. But only you have the words of life. We're not going anywhere because you're first. 
We know that you are the son of the living God. It's the same Peter (laughs) that on a beach catching fish. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then go feed my fish. And lo, I'll be with you even till the ends of the age. Job knew if I made God first, then he'll have the final say. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you have the best for us. The best. The best. And only you can provide the best. Some have things that are good, but you are the source of the best. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me. And if this is the desire of your heart, I I can't pray this for you, but you can join me in my prayer. God, I confess to you that there's moments when I've looked to my wife for things that I should have gone to you first. I confess to you that at times I've just gotten on my bike and gone for a bike ride when I should have prayed. I confess, Lord, that sometimes I've indulged my flesh when I should have been engaging my spirit with you. And I give that to you, and Lord, I repent of that. I want to put you first in every area of my life. I give you all of me, God, because you've given me all of you. And I receive from you your fullness, your direction, your guidance, your love. I receive my identity from you, my protection from you. My provision comes from you. You are the Alpha, and you will be the Omega in my life. I thank you, God, that you get the final say. You're the one with the gavel in your hand that hits it at the end of the decision. And what you say is final. And your words over us are that I have loved you with an everlasting love. And you are my prize. You are my son. And you are my daughter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God's good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this, or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.